0: Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Morning, everyone. So we're going to stand in our um, our Good King, Bad King series. Probably coming in, coming in to land on that now. Not loads, not loads of those left. Um, and uh, we're going So if you're going to turn your Bible, unfortunately, it's not going to come up on the screen, the text, because. Um, as I've said before, you get you got the Book of Kings and the Book of Chronicles, and you get a lot of overlap in terms of the things they're talking about. And um, the the best, I think, the best description of this king you'll find in the Chronicles. And we didn't get the slides ready on time, which is my bad. So, Two Chronicles, uh, chapter twenty-five. Uh, I'll read it to you. This is talking about Amaziah, the reckless king. Okay, so we're going to hear. Uh, I said to someone earlier, "Yeah, it's interesting." This one, and, and then they said to me, "They've all been interesting." And I thought, like, "Yeah, the kings of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, very interesting—that's for sure." Um, before I do that, I just wanted to just just um, give a couple of a couple of um, say a couple of things just to encourage you. Many of you know Mike and Sue Betts. Um, um, about 11, 12 years ago, Mike um, began relational mission, the, the family churches that we are part of. Well, just in the last few weeks, Mike and Sue have kind of kind of kind of relocated they're now they're now, they're still 50% of their time in lower stoft but they are now 50% of their time in kentish town yeah, so they now live in the manse uh, attached to Bassett Street half of the time. And they're getting plugged into the church of Bassett Street, which means we should be able to see them more and have them around a bit more. So I just wanted to encourage you, they're around. If you bump into Mike and Sue in North London, don't be surprised. Don't say to them, why aren't you in Lowestoft? Just say, it's good to see you in your new neighbourhood. Um, but they're dear, dear friends to us. And it will be great for us that they're closer. They're closer by. So thanks for your prayers. Um, last Sunday in Harlow, myself and Daisy and tully and Luke Damon went over to Harlow to serve the Relational Mission Church there. It's a wonderful church. Been through quite a tough uh, few years, but really coming out into a place of, of brilliant strength. We're able to serve them, bless them, encourage them. We appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much for uh, praying for us. Felt God give me something for them about evangelism, not knowing that just in the last few weeks they'd started very intentionally Doing much more evangelism, so they were really encouraged by that. They were able to pray for people, for healing, and um, they just—it's always good to be around a church that knows who they are. You know, just—it's comfortable in their own kind of in who God has made them to be, and they certainly were that. And it was—we uh, had lunch afterwards with them. Um, some of the elders and they've had a great time so thank you for your prayers and also thank you for your prayers if you knew about and if you prayed for Thursday which was a big day in relational mission we'll be at a day on called fruitful partnership where we were really uh, talking thinking praying about uh, the book um, that I wrote on on gender and just talking about all that and how to be more and more fruitful working as men and women together in ministry just looking around it's a great day um, and some really big big things happened so Thank you for um, your involvement, and even though I know that for many of you, day to day, you're you know busy doing what you're doing, it's so important that we just keep in heart together in the missions that we're doing. We're interested, I'm interested in what you're doing day to day, but I also know that you're very much interested in the things that I'm getting up to. So. Wanting to just keep you up to date on that. Okay. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Interesting phrase. Interesting phrase. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants, who had struck down the king, his father? But he didn't put their children to death, according to what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the law commanded, "Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, for each one shall die for his own sin." Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by father's houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those 20 years old and upward and found that they were 300,000 choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, "O oh, king, don't let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Uh, Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents that I've given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again, and they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock. And they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. These were bloody days." After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and he sent to him a prophet who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a temple who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, have we made you a royal counsellor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God is determined to destroy you. Because you've done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah king of Judah took counsel and sent to Joash the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face, basically asking for a fight. And Joash the king of Israel sent word to Amaziah king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, "Give your daughter to be my son for a wife." And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, "See, I have struck down Edom," and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke the trouble? Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up. And he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, son of Ahaziah at Beth Shemesh and brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate and he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God in the care of Obed-Edom. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages and he returned to Samaria. Father I want to pray that as we study and meditate on the life of this king that you would give us a heart of wisdom as we look at the life of this man who was entrusted with authority and power and yet something about him, something, there was something about him where his, his whole heart wasn't yours. And we see what begins to flow out of that. Lord, we want to pray. Give us a heart of wisdom. I want to pray for the grace, fresh grace to be given to us today to help us to trust you fully and really really not hold back in that. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to look at, so I've, I've, basically, I've basically, I mean, it's a confusing story. Probably already you're going, who did what? did what? Who's the thorn? Who's the thistle? What, you know? Okay, I know, right? So I want to just break it down for you in seven simple steps, seven steps of recklessness, all right? what not to be like what not what not to do okay with some lessons that we can learn here so number the first thing this guy did so we're going to just try and go through it and then we'll see if God will give me the grace to make a sermon out of it so first thing he did if then if you noticed this because I, I know you've only read it through once so you might be thinking what happened he had 300,000 of his own men who were skillful warriors and then hired another 100,000 From Israel. At this point, Judah and Israel, they're divided nations, different kings, different nations. Okay, Sometimes at war, sometimes at peace with each other. But the king of Judah, Amaziah, has got 300,000 good warriors. But then he hires another 100,000 here. So the first thing we see is that he is gathering unnecessary amounts of people around him to make him feel safer instead of finding security in what God has provided him. God has given him 300,000 skillful warriors. And he's going, we better get another 100,000. And we'll pay, we'll, we'll pay for them and we'll get them off the Israelites who we've got a very fragile relationship with. Right? And it's very interesting, is the, the man of God who, who comes to him and he says, he's basically saying, where's your confidence in God? You've basically got this mindset that God's going to cast you down. God's able to help you as well, you know. You see, there's something in his heart there's not fully trusting god and when you're like that what you do is you start doing extra things okay and but it comes out of something in the heart which isn't trusting god and so you gather unnecessary amounts of maybe it's people in your life you don't trust that god has got good people in your life that will love you and bring richness to your life and so you start accumulating others out of a place of panic and mistrust. Something in your heart's going. God's going to cast me down. God's going to cast me down. There's, a, there's this there's this kind of mean view of God in the heart. The prophet says, Doesn't it occur to you that He's also the God is able to help you? <laughs> you see, so. Some, sometimes we accumulate and it's fine. It's in the sense of we need extra things, or you know, we want to go and make some more friends. It's not a problem. But when there's this thing, it's always about the heart, you see. And when there's this thing in the heart where you're basically doubting the goodness of God, then it can make you. It can send you into an overdrive of activity that's really just a manifestation of the fact that you don't trust God. Some people work too much they don't trust God. They won't stop working. They won't take a rest. Constant. Yeah, it's good to work hard, but there's something in the heart that's going, God's not going to provide. So it goes into overdrive. It's what people do. When there's not that settled, childlike faith, he's got me, we start doing stuff. It's like a kind of a plan B. Then we see, and this one I guess is a bit of a, a bit of a consequence of the initial one, is that he loses finance on an industrial scale. As a result of unthought through, unnecessary and impulsive decisions that need reversing. right? He's, he <laughs> so we find out, you know, the prophet says, you don't need these. Send them back. He goes, but I've paid a hundred talents of silver for them. I love the prophet's response, the man of God's response. You see what he says? It's a wonderful little, a wonderful little phrase. He says, uh, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Again, see, now interesting, hot topics. Money. Money is often one of the ways where you manifest a lack of trust in God. It's one of the key, it's why Jesus spoke about it so much. I, th- I think it, if you do the maths, apparently statistically, it's up there, like top of the tree in terms of amount of content Jesus taught on. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? So he's, in, he's invested. Th- industrial scale finance on an on a on an impulse on a foolish thing that comes out of a heart that's not trusting god happens all the time people people don't do money god's way people you invest in eternal things first fruits give it unto the lord because it's all his anyway don't do it not like, come on, we've got to get, get these foundations right. Make choices. You can't, you, you make the choices and then God shows himself to be faithful and then your trust and confidence in him grows and grows and grows. Rather than being in that kind of fearful, doubting sort of posture there. And, and I mean, you know, it's what, this is a very inconvenient thing. 100,000 guys, sorry fellas, got it wrong. These, these guys have come to fight. They're geared up. Their blood's up. They're ready for battle. Sorry, now you're going to have to go home. But their blood's up, right? And they're angry. So what do they do on the way home? Kill 3,000 people. I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's war. I mean, war is horrific. So he's, he's creating... This guy is creating a mess with little things in his heart leading to big choices because he's got... See, here's the thing, right? When you've got... Influence, authority, whatever you make the, the, the little thing in your heart that's unchecked, you make that decision. The more authority or influence or whatever you've got, the bigger the ramifications. Yeah. So this scale is industrial. But all of us have our little areas of impact. You've got this little thing in your heart. You're not trusting God, and so those who you live with, or those that you work with, or those that, that they, they have the overspill of that. Third thing. it's crazy, right? So he goes and he war. He goes to war against Edom. Now, Edom is one of those nations in the, sort of in the Bible. They're, they're, they're like the bad guys, you know. And he goes and, and he has this amazing victory. And we won't we won't focus on the brutal details of the warfare. But what he does is right now. What you got to realize in those days, everyone had their gods. And Israel and Judah were really unusual because their God was invisible, right? It wasn't a statue. Everyone had their gods and they would make them and, and it would be gods of certainty. They'd have a god of this and a god of that. And, and the certain gods the Edomites had and there would be statues. And they'd bring them along to battle. And as a result, they were going to do better. Anyway, they got defeated. And can you even get the logic here? So, so Amaziah has come. And in, in the name of the Lord and has had victory and then goes, oh, yeah, well, we'll have their gods as well. And we're we'll taken back and we'll worship them. You go, what on earth are you doing? What on it? Like literally God has just given you the victory. Why? What is going on here? It's the same thing in the heart where he's going. Yeah, but what if God doesn't? Yeah. but So what we'll do, we'll get these ones as well. He's not stopping worshiping God, but we're going to add these ones in. Little plan B. It's the same manifestation. It creates reckless scenarios, but it's rooted in, as it always is, that heart that goes, do you know what? I I will lean on God, but just in case he's not reliable, we'll lean on that as well. That's called not leaning on God. (laughs) That's how it works. And God sees it, and God, uh, you know, and God does acknowledge acknowledges that this guy did a lot of right things, and but also where does then where God looks at heart and goes, but you've got this, you're not dealing with this thing here, and look what it, look what it does. So the next thing is he attaches himself to new futile masters for who knows what reasons. I mean, it's crazy, just fear, unbelief, rooted in fear and unbelief. There's so many things we can attach to. We've got God, yeah, but we've also got this as well, and that's just in case, and that's just in case, and that's just in case. That's different from trusting in God and enjoying the blessings that he gives. See, it could look the same, because you've got stuff in your life, but what's going on in the heart is really the issue, and that's what we're getting to today, because that's the stuff that out of the overflow of the heart, you know, out of the heart, the rivers of life flow, and the choices we make and all of that, it comes out of that. So... Right, So he set up these gods and he's worshipping them. And then another prophet comes along who begins to challenge him. Reckless step number four ignores the voice of God because it's corrective and calling him to repent. Okay, God will not say peace, peace when there is no peace. When you need to be straightened out, God in his kindness and mercy, integrity and genuine and deep love for you will tell you what you need to hear. Will you listen? Will you listen? Or will you do that? He says, he says to the prophet, Who called you to be a royal counselor? Stop. She says, Stop. Tells the man to stop. But you know when someone tells you to stop and you want to get one last little thing out? The prophet goes, Okay, but God's going to kill you. <laughs> it's like that. Like, you need to know this. Like, this is not going to end well. This is really not going to end well. Yeah? But, but Amaziah doesn't want to hear. Doesn't want to hear. God, in his mercy, will bring really good people into our lives. Whether that's friends, family, church family. Sometimes it's, just, it's literally just, you know, it's, it's a voice on a radio or a TV, a, God, a godly voice. He will bring people in and they'll say something and it will cut right to the heart, yeah? And it will expose you, go, yeah, I, I, I'm not trusting God. I'm really not what do you do in that moment? Because it's not God looking to expose you in order to kind of do away with you. It's God looking to highlight that in order that you might go, Lord, I want to repent of that and I really want to learn how to trust you with my whole heart. But you won't listen. So then God says, okay, well, we're going we're to we're we're deal with you because you're a king and you're refusing to listen. So you're, you're going to lead the nation into this. See, if the king starts to worship the gods of Edom, what are the people going to start doing? Worshiping the gods of Edom. Of course they are. So he's going to lead the whole nation astray. So, so then, after he shuts the prophet up, we're told this. He says, um, uh, "Stop Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash and picks a fight. Took counsel from whom? We've got no idea. So then what he does is he takes counsel, but the counsel's got no reference to God. I'm going to find some counsel now. So voice of God, stop. (laughs) But I'm going to find counsel from people that aren't going to tell me what I want to hear. More recklessness. Number six, picks a fight for no reason other than pride, envy, competitiveness. I guess, you know, these Israelite soldiers that have gone back and killed 3,000 maybe thinking we're going to get revenge for that but it wasn't the king's idea it was just reckless soldiers but whatever he picks a fight with Israel the king of Israel says you're going to get destroyed don't do it right he gives him a chance He says to go into reverse he says look just don't do it and he says no we're going to fight I want to fight you and as I was preparing this you know I did feel like we've got to really think very carefully about how we pick our fights let's think about Jesus for just a moment you see Jesus didn't pick a fight with the Romans. could have done. In fact, one of his disciples was a zealot. And a zealot was basically like a kind of a Jewish freedom fighter. They wanted the Romans out. They expected Jesus as Messiah to come and be like a revolutionary and to deal with the oppressive force of the Romans. doesn't at all. In fact, he gives himself up to the Romans to be crucified by them. Really interesting that he didn't pick a fight there. You think he could have picked a fight with Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him. Betrayed by a friend, you know, You thought he could have really got in on Judas big time. Could have done any, any number of amazing, terrible things to Judas. <laughs> Just lets it play out. Why? Because he knows, he, know, he understands there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose of God playing out here. There's something going on here. We're, gonna, we're not going to pick that fight there. Um doesn't pick a fight with Herod, he simply ignores Herod. The only person to be ignored by Jesus. That's not good, is it? But he doesn't pick a fight with him. Doesn't even it kind of picks a fight with the Jewish leaders in one sense. I mean, he says it gives them a few home truths, but really no more than that. Jesus picks a fight with Satan. Jesus picks a fight on the cross. You see, because on the cross, Jesus isn't just turning away the wrath of the Father, propitiation. He isn't just taking on board of himself our sins and being there as a sacrificial lamb for us. He's doing all those things, but he's also dealing with all of the powers of darkness. So, what Jesus is doing is he's reserving his fighting energy for where the fight really counts. And we can get drawn into so many tum- tumultuous, kind of stressful situations about other people and spend so much fighting energy on other people, whether that's literally arguing, falling out or picking up a, a cause uh, you know, against other people where you haven't asked God for wisdom and direction, but you can get yourself so caught up with stuff. But then the problem is this, you spend all your fighting energy on flesh and blood and you've got no fighting energy left for where it counts. You see, because Paul says, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You need energy for that fight. You see, people are not our enemies. People with opposing views to us are not our enemies. The spiritual powers behind ungodly ideologies and all of that, that's our enemy. And so it's so important that we don't find ourselves recklessly falling out with people. Are you someone who falls out with people? Are you always, have you always got someone that you're falling out with? Have you got an argumentative spirit? First few years of marriage, the beginning of the it's like being married to a lawyer. You're laughing because it's resonating. You think, yeah, I can see it. It's like being married to a lawyer everything so, I really had to stop and think I really had to listen go yeah I fallen me is really argumentative and i really want to win arguments yeah and the collateral human damage left along the way was something i've really had to learn about i no longer enjoy that sort of thing you'll be glad to hear as dreena's very glad to learn a lot But it can lead to real, just a trail of destruction because you you didn't know when to walk away. You didn't know when to drop it. You thought every problem that was there you had to sort out. Just think for a moment. We are to hate oppression, we are to hate injustice. There are certain causes that God leads us in to speak up about. Absolutely. But it's a different thing from having a savior complex. Where basically every situation you're fighting against, or you're always falling out, or you're always you're picking holes in people. Listen, if you want to, you can find fault with everyone. We're all a bit funny. You've all got annoying ways. It will lead to total recklessness. As far as it depends upon you, the Bible says, live at peace with all people. As far as it depends. Sometimes people just hate you, or whatever. But as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. In doing so, you're going to be being godly, but also, guess what? You are keeping your fighting reserves for prayer and spiritual warfare. And so many Christians literally have no gumption when it comes to spiritual warfare. One little donk and they're they're down. And, wow, how could this happen to me? You're in a war. That's how it happens to you. Okay? That's what happens in war. Yeah? So we've got to pick up our armor. And we've got to deal with spiritual powers through the way that we live, through the way, through praying, through getting a hold of our mind and our thought, through looking after our heart, through protecting relationships. That's spiritual warfare. That involves immense amounts of. Energy and and labor in the Holy Spirit, but it still involves immense amounts of energy and labor. There's so many opportunities where you could get offended or you could fall out or you could lose heart or you could believe the lie or you could come under discouragement. Brothers and sisters, this is real. Spare your energy for that. Rather than falling out with people. Picking fights. Foolish, crazy. And then the final thing is not acknowledging when your choices have put you out of your depth and so refusing to go into reverse. He picks a fight. The other king says, you're going to get squashed. Right, don't do it. At that point, he could have gone, okay. <laughs> but he goes in and gets destroyed as a result. Sometimes we make choices and you go, and you, you know that when you're you walking forward and you're going, what am I doing? Anyone relate to this? No? Yes. Okay. You walk forward and you're going, where's reverse? When when that's happening, before you can find reverse, just find the brakes. Find the brakes. Because when you're doing stuff externally, where internally you're crying out, what are you doing? That needs paying attention to. So just stop for a minute. It might cost you some pride. It might cost you some... Kudos, it might cost you some money. It might cost you, right? But it's going to cost you better than carrying on. Stop, pray, seek counsel. And if, if as you've done that, you realize this is a bad move, go into reverse and clear up the mess. Some, there will be mess, but it won't be as bad as that mess. If you keep going. It's so important that we understand this stuff. I want to just end by talking about a couple of things. Number one, you've got the voice of these, you've got the voice of these two prophets coming into his life, right? The saying, you've got enough soldiers, trust God. The prophet's saying, don't worry about money. The prophet's saying, stop worshipping idols. The prophet's saying, you're not listening. Okay, How many times did Jesus say, he who has ears, let him listen. To listen spiritually is a real art, but it's not, it's not, listen, it's, please hear me here. Listening spiritually is a real art, but it's not the art of buying a book called, you know, 10 Steps to Listening to God and, you know, put on this sort of music. No, right? It's a real art. What's the art? Soft heartedness. There's no technique to hearing God, right? But a soft heart. When well, your guard is down, God will speak. Because he, he cares about you. He loves you. You're his kid. Okay? He's not going to put you through a little technique program. He just wants to know you're listening. Lord, I'm listening. As I was preparing this, I felt the Lord say to me specifically that there are some wives that are concerned about their husbands. Here at Rev, you can see you think they're not listening. right? And they're also they're, they're not handling things spiritually. You've spoken to them, or you haven't, or you've just been praying or worrying. But I'll just as a word of knowledge, for or prophetic insight for some situations where wives are going. Then, whether it's around finance, or whether it's around just they're concerned because guys can tend to just charge on. They can just have so a lot of guys just have that have that about them. It's just kind of like it's like a. It's like a kind of a, a misapplication of kind of vigour. You know, vigor's great, but it's kind of a... Very often, women are better at just stopping and just pray and listen first. I don't know why, but anecdotally, I'd say it's very... That's a, and I just feel for some, you know, there's some tension in the marriage around it. Please listen, listen to each other. Please, guys, listen to your wives. Please try and hear. Don't just charge into stuff. It's so so uh, important. The art of listening delivers us from reckless folly. Right? And then the other thing I want to finish on is this whole thing of being wholehearted. Psalm eighty-six. Jesus is our model for this. He just totally gave himself to the will of the Father. And Psalm eighty-six, verse eleven says this: it "says Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart." To fear your name. I give thanks to your Lord God with my whole heart. And we can have divided hearts. In fact, all of us do have divided hearts. But as soon as we become aware of bits where they are, we bring it before God, right? We say, No, Lord, I want to bring this for you. I want to own it, repent of it. Lord, I want to give you my whole heart again. So there'd always be subconscious things, you know, where we're not aware of. But once the Holy Spirit makes something awake, no, Lord, yet, stop. Lord God, unite my heart to fear your name. Um, because everything flows out of that. And you know, I just want to sort of really bring, bring that to you in a way that I hope you can kind of feel the weight of it today. We've been given, a, when we came to Jesus, we got given a new heart. That's an amazing miracle. Jesus is the only man to have lived a righteous life and through his life actually been, been considered and declared righteous by the Father through the life that he lived. No one else has done that. No one else, David, Abraham, no no other man or woman in Scripture has done that, only Jesus. So, in that sense, he brings God's law to its fulfillment in his perfect life. He's done it. And then he goes to the cross to fulfill the other side of the law, the negative side. Disobey, curse, death, he goes and becomes a curse for us on a cross, right? So, all of us are totally lost and none of us can just kind of live godly lives. He's done it for us. And then as we put our trust in him, a miracle happens. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, spiritually speaking, that is soft, squidgy, and loves Jesus. Not hard and stony and stubborn. It's a soft one that beats for the glory of God, doesn't it? That's a miracle. We're talking about it at the discipleship course this morning. That's a miracle. When you, if you're, once you're born again, you're a new creation. You wake up in the morning, you've got a new heart. Now, sometimes it takes 20 minutes or an hour to kind of wake up to the joy of that. I understand. Straight away, it doesn't always feel glorious, but you haven't got to kind of get a new heart every day. It got put in. You're a new creation. You're getting younger and younger on the inside every day. How about that? How about that? The closer I'm getting to 50, the more happy I am to that. Yeah, I'm getting older on the outside, but I'm getting younger on the inside. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's a soft heart. That's the heart that needs. Nurture, protecting, him, keeping him from hardness, bitterness, all of that. Keep that. Now I'm going to keep it from that. I'm going to protect this work of grace. I'm going to protect this work of grace. God's also, by His power, of Spirit, keeping me and guarding me. But I'm going to work with Him and we're going to keep this heart. It's going to become more and more childlike the older I get. It's going to become more and more innocent and more and more trusting the older I get. Okay? And more and more devoted to Jesus. You ought to go, why? Because he's done, he's put it there by his grace and a miracle. And I, 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 I want to I respond to that with the, with the seriousness that it deserves. And then as I do that, I, it's a heart of wisdom. Hallelujah. Yeah, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives generously without finding fault. So I'm not going to make stupid decisions. And when I do, as soon as I see it, I'm going to own it and repent. Right? So minimum recklessness and damage. Amen? Minimum. Minimum holding my head in my hand for decades. Why did I do that? No, minimum regret, resentment. And if you've got regrets in here today, we'll find cleansing today at the cross from Jesus. Find forgiveness. Or if it was your fault, if it wasn't your fault, we we'll just find the cleansing from, all that, from, from pain. Begin that journey of healing so you can begin to put steps in the direction where you're, not, you're not, not regretful steps. Amen? Steps where you go, no, I love it. Every December the 31st, New Year's resolution, just carry on doing the same. Yeah? So I haven't got to keep doing U turns and stuff. Why? I know what I'm about following Jesus. It's a lovely, beautiful simplicity to it. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage us this. God has called us to be a people, God wants to make us a church of big people. God wants to make us a church that's able to be a blessing to the wider body of Christ and resource that with things that flow out here, with the gifts that flow out here. We want the water that runs out of here to be pure, don't we? life-giving, the water of the Spirit. That's what we want, not polluted, pure. Lord, help us. God, help us as a church to be all that you've made us to be. Keep us from little bits of unbelief in the heart, sitting out, stones in the shoe. Keep us from fears. Keep us from crazy, reckless decisions that hurt other people. Lord, have mercy on us as your people, I pray. Lead us with faith and confidence and wisdom, Lord, into fruitful lives, I pray. Help us to mend relationships, Lord, where they shouldn't have broken down, but they did. Help us to build bridges, Lord, out of love and learn how to love people well and do people, be committed to doing people good because you were committed to doing us good when we were faced toward you in rebellion, you came to us in mercy. So, Lord, help us to, have, to be impacted by the gospel and reflect that out to those that we live with and those that we serve, that we would be the fragrance of Christ to you, Father, and to those around us. I pray. So help us, Lord. Help us. We think about this city and the churches we want to plant, and the churches we want to plant to the ends of the earth, Lord. We want to. We want to sort of propagate beautiful, spiritual Christ-like DNA. We want to. We want to establish communities, Lord, built on the Word and the Spirit, Lord. We want to see beautiful things happen. Thank you for what your hand is on us, Lord. And we would feel it and love it and be reverent in our response to that. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.